Hello, everybody. Welcome to our bonus podcast. I'm the host, Donatos Urbanis, and I'm joined by Vitis Vishnauskas, my colleague. What's up? Um, getting ready for the new season, so it's exciting. It's close, and um, probably it's preseason for both of us, as well as for the players and the coaches. Yeah, actually, there's not so much to talk about. Uh, when it's, <laughs> That's it's a good way to start <laughs> a podcast. <laughs> but we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to have some kind of, you know, early first look at the uh, yeah. EuroLeague teams getting ready for the season. Some friendly games were played and it was, we were curious, you know, to watch yeah. uh, these teams, which had the most changings during the summer. Uh, also, some signings were made, which we will discuss as well. Yeah, so we're getting ready for the season uh, uh, since, you know, season going to start in September 30, something like that. Yeah, I would say another thing that really looks exciting, for example, the uh, Supercopa. Oh. We will see the Spanish teams playing big games already with their full rotation or nearly full rotation. So it will be some sort of a sneak peek to what we could expect from the Euroleague season. But yeah, it's always for me like the start of the season is the Spanish Supercopa because it's an elite level of teams competing for the first title. And when is it? I believe it is not this weekend, but the next weekend after. I'm just uh, yeah. very afraid of Real Madrid because what I saw in the game against Murcia, yeah. they're like weeks away from something uh, to a good basketball. So... Well, they, they are it's still without uh, Eddie Tavares as well, who is playing for his national team in the oh, yeah. Afrobasket. So, obviously, he changes a lot when he's on the court. But since you started with Real Madrid, I would like to say some things as well. I, I, I saw their game against Murcia, and um, it was interesting for me to see the new point guards of Pablo Lasso. So, Nigel Williams-Goss and Thomas Hertel. Uh, and you could see that they need time they need time to get used to their new teammates to their roles actually let's say nigel williams got started the game as a point guard and it was kind of difficult for him um except from the open court play he was struggling in 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 the set plays right but when he played with ertel in the same lineup more as a shooting guard it seemed better to me so it's interesting to see how in the season Pablo Lasso will be using these two guys because uh, both like to score, both like to have the ball in their hands, but uh, Nigel Williams-Goss maybe is not the guy that really controls the team that, that much. And I do imagine him playing a little bit better as a, as a shooting guard in the season. But it's just a first impression from a friendly game as you said really Madrid were struggling spacing was not good uh, some possessions ended with Vincent Poirier taking long distance jump shots which is not his basketball uh, but uh, Gershonia Busselle really showed some promising stuff yeah we can remind everybody that it was it was the preseason opener for Real Madrid yeah. and they lost the game against Murcia 80 to 84 uh Nigel Willem Goss two points uh, I guess it was poor shooting uh, night for him but Yabisele was crazy 19 points uh monster dunk uh like you know uh, some some angry bold look <laughs> he was jumping all over the pl uh, all over the guys uh he was grabbing offensive rebounds he was you know giving that the hu these hustle plays the team needed and i didn't expect him you know to be good so early of course it makes sense that he had a uh the olympic tournament and uh, probably teammates like uh, what was funny to see four frenchmen uh, on the f on the five of real madrid yeah. it was 
Cozer, Yebiseli, Ertel, and Poirier. And sometimes it was Hanga, for example, in, in, in that lineup. So maybe, you know, that helped, you know, that chemistry kind of helped him uh, to, to start the preseason on a high note. But no, Yebiseli was, was just crazy. I, I was just a bit shocked, you know, how good, how aggressive he was. Yeah, and, and he played some minutes as a center as well because they are lacking uh, size uh, without Tavares and also uh, Trey Tompkins wasn't playing. Anthony Randolph is still recovering from his injury. So they were short-handed in the uh, power forward and center positions uh, only with uh, Poirier, Yabusele and the young guy Vukcevic covering these minutes. And Jai uh, also, yeah, very young uh, But I don't guy. really know much about him yeah. yet. So kind of need, need more time to evaluate his abilities but Yabusele he seemed in a very good shape as I mentioned he played in the Olympic tournament he played a big role in the French national team and that new look that new haircut really makes him more scary <laughs> I, I believe for the opponents now he because looks he looks like a very nice guy actually yeah but with this new haircut he looks like a dominant player like a beast and i believe that others have to respect him and and his game what i love about the preseason all these you know changed looks or uh, let's say preseason looks for example pablo pablo lasso was uh, you know i don't know if, if you remember uh uh the current lockdown version of Jelko Bradovic when he gave uh, gave an interview i don't remember the name of that guy it was probably a Turkish, somebody from Turkey. It was like more than one hour interview. And uh, Jelko did the interview, you know, with uh, white as snow uh, <laughs> bird. And it, it became a meme on the internet. So Pablo Lasso had the same <laughs> yeah. in, the, in, the game, uh, in the game against Murcia. And uh, I also liked, uh, uh, we can uh, tell everybody that we actually uh, saw four or five preseason games. Yeah. Uh, uh, we had that kind of, you know, privilege. So maybe it will be interesting for you, you know, to listen uh, uh, to us because we, you know, we didn't, uh, we are not talking just from the box scores or, or something. Yeah. We, you know, we had some early look at, at these preseason games. And what I loved also that uh, Dusko Ivanovic uh, was the head coach, was, you know, doing his uh, job in the game with the hat, with the baseball cap. <laughs> so it was also funny because it, it, the only time I saw somebody with, you know, that kind of uh, outfit uh, was in China. There is some uh, Chinese head coach. I don't remember if he, he was Donatas Motiuna's head coach in Xinjiang team or something. But yeah, China CBA uh, made an exception uh, for him. So I, I like that uh, Ivanovic look. So this is what this is what happens when you start coaching straight away from holidays. Pablo Lasso didn't shave. Dushko still has a baseball cap. <laughs> it's a preseason. Uh, but still finishing about the uh, game that Real Madrid was involved. Uh, actually, yeah, they lost the game, but Murcia had a big lead and, and Real Madrid made a comeback. Uh, when they were down by double digits, Pablo Lasso started playing with his best five guys at the moment. Fabian Cozer was like the leader in this team and, and they made a comeback and it could have actually won the game. It was uh, a game decided in the very last possessions and Nigel Williams-Goss missed a free pointer and it could be worrying, you know, that Nigel Williams-Goss is not a very consistent shooter because if you look uh, at the guards that played for Real Madrid successfully played in the recent years all of them are good playmakers but at the same time they are good shooters uh, they can shoot a free in a transition whether it's Facundo Campazzo or the better days of Sergio Yul or, or you could look at uh, 
Chacho Rodriguez. Uh, uh, Chacho also. Rodriguez. Yeah. Everybody. They they, and, ca- they had kind of you know Steph Curry range. They can make a shot from uh, everywhere. And Williams Goss, he loves to drive. He loves to play on the open court. Uh, but to ask him to make these clutch free pointers, let's say, it could be a difficult task. Although last season playing for uh, Krasnodar, he was making these jump shots. His numbers were actually good. But this is a question mark about him. Uh, how will he handle his role in, in, in Madrid? Even though I like the player, and I, as I mentioned in our previous podcasts when we were here, that this signing is very exciting, and I yeah. believe that Pablo Lasso will get back to playing his way of basketball. But uh, again, this is not a full roster. Oh, yeah. This is not... It's only the first uh, game of the preseason. Yeah, this is not what they are capable of. They will need some time, and I, I still trust that they will be a very good team. Yeah, they made 19 turnovers. Sometimes where they were like, you know, bumping each other's uh, head. And, uh, you know, what makes me believe in Nigel is that he's a really good guy. He's uh, a real pro. Um, neither of the teams had any problems with him. He has that great mentality. He's very well educated. So I think that he's going to inge- adjust and probably, probably, you know, that's, that, that's going to be a difference maker, yeah. uh, experience f- for him. Either he belongs to the elite or not, because, you know, it's, he, he, he became probably he, he was signed for the main uh, floor general position. Uh, uh, l- let's say it was, uh, something, you know, in, in advance because okay in Olympiacos he didn't have a great experience uh, in Loco he he was unstoppable but it was Euro Cup level and we didn't see if Nigel William Gas can be a leader of the elite team which Real Madrid is so yeah what makes me believe that he can is that he has a great character mm-hmm. he's a guy who is willing to be coached he's willing to listen to learn and to take responsibility so this is why I believe it will be okay with Nigel Williams-Goss. And Real Madrid actually introduced some other new guys, newcomers, and one of them was Adam Hanga, as, uh, as well as Thomas Ertel. Uh, so Adam Hanga... It was surreal to, to, to watch these former Barca yeah. players wearing the white <laughs> Not so long t-shirt. ago they were playing for Barcelona. And Adam Hanga, I believe he will take some of the responsibilities that uh, Jeffrey Taylor has in this team for many years. Jeffrey Taylor came to Real Madrid like six years ago, probably. And we know him as a defensive player. But he was sort of like the only glue guy, the defensive player mm-hmm. that Real Madrid had. Gabriel Deck maybe in a way was something like this. We remember as well. Jonas Machulis was that guy also, Andres Nacioni too. Yeah, yeah, you could say but that. It was like but, many years ago. But, but recently, mm-hmm. it was only like Jeffrey Taylor and, and Gabriel Deck, these defensive type of players, and they needed someone to fill that gap. And Adam Hanga looks like the player who can do a job. And if we imagine he will be exchanging minutes with Jeffrey Taylor. You will not be so dependent on Jeffrey's uh, defensive abilities because you have another guy you can trust. So uh, I believe it's a good addition for, for Real Madrid. Yeah, and uh, to finish with Real probably, uh, shout out to Murcia guys because they played a re- very nice game. Uh, in in some moments, some moments they look like they're, you know, they, they were uh, on a, let's say, March shape. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was a great ball movement, great tempo, great decisions. They were shooting like hell. I mean, it was a very nice uh, game for Murcia and it seems like that at least, you know, in this stage of the preparation, they they were like more more clicked and looked uh, much better than Real Madrid. They, they seemed like pumped up for the game. It, yeah. lo- it looked like it's already the start of the ACB season yes, and, yes, and yes. there were some people in the in the building mm. supporting Murcia yeah. team. Uh, another funny thing, it's kind of off topic, but I was watching this game with uh, the uh, Spanish commentators, I, be- I believe uh, Real Madrid TV commentators. Mm. And so it's a preseason game and they were not really that focused on what's happening on the court. They spent quite a lot of time discussing uh, Real Madrid football transfers, uh, Kylian Mbappé from Paris Saint-Germain and, and Kamavinga, young guy coming from France, so they really were relaxed and, and yeah. focused on some I other topics. <laughs> I feel them. If we discussed uh, you have to Pablo Lasso, Bird and, <laughs> and Dusko's head, so... You have to admit that these kind of are bigger things than a preseason game, but yeah, it was interesting to see, as I mentioned, these new guys. I was really focused not on uh-huh. just seeing the team play, but uh, I dedicated like a few pos- possessions on defense and on offense as well. Just watching Nigel Williams goss, what he's doing, how he how he's feeling and that was more interesting to me yeah that's why we picked teams like which had the most changes like we're gonna discuss a bit about basconia the new look basconia uh Jalgiris Loco, uh who else it was fs monaco i mean these yeah. teams are very, very exciting and to start with uh basconia um it was uh interesting to watch uh basconia i i wasn't a huge fan of basconia uh summer changes in the beginning but I, I got myself uh, during the first half uh, of the game against uh, Sassari Dinamo that this might be one of the most um, favorite teams to watch for me this season. I like the confidence which Wade Baldwin brings on the court. When the ball is, is in his hands, you just trust the guy. Uh, I could, you know, trust uh, to, you know, carry my child for for trust Baldwin. Wade Baldwin? Yeah, really. I mean, he wow. looks so solid. Really, he looks so solid. I was, I was also surprised because when you have Wade Baldwin, you don't know what you can expect from this guy. Yeah. But in that game against Asher, he was just you know doing what he just wanted. For, for example, uh, Basconia had a very bad second uh, start of the second quarter. Like they started the quarter like zero to ten, and it was the time when the Dushko mm, threw the let's say. A second lineup on the court and when B- Wade came back on the court I mean it was like like this and uh, Basconia was up by eight and everything went from from Wade Baldwin you know from his confidence then you had uh, Vanya Marinkovic who has a great hand and who you know who fits very well Wade Baldwin who has problems you know with his range then you have uh, Simonia Fontecchio who is so versatile on offense especially he can post up you he can uh, shoot from off, off the screen and do a lot of uh, stuff on the court uh, okay maybe their centers are let's say you know I, I miss more IQ uh, on under the basket but in overall um uh, there were some very nice moments uh, which I liked uh, watching Basconia winning against Sassari 84 to 70. Um, well, but I hear your concerns about w- trusting with Baldwin. Well, I'm, I'm talking just about that game, <laughs> that particular moment, not, not in general. Okay, I will, I, will, yeah, yeah. I will say some things as well about Wade Baldwin because really he was coached hard by Andrea Trinchieri in Bayern 
Now he joined the team with another coach that is known for his dictatorship type of coaching. Yeah. Dusko Ivanovic, one of these old school coaches in, in EuroLeague. One of the last old school head coaches yeah. left in the EuroLeague. And you know what? Um, it's not that I don't like Wade Baldwin as a basketball player, but if I was a GM of a ambitious EuroLeague team that wants to make the playoffs and maybe even have a shot at the Final Four, I would never imagine Wade Baldwin as my point guard, to be honest. He can give athleticism to the team. He can add uh, some... But hey, they made the playoffs last year. Yeah, I know they made the playoffs, but they should have won the series against Milano, to be honest. And oh, okay. in some moments, they were drowning in the games in the fourth quarters just because of Wade Baldwin's decision-making. And this is why I don't really see him as the point guard who can control the team at the end of the game. I really wouldn't like to see him having the ball in his hands in the last minutes of the fourth quarter of a big game. He is super athletic. He is talented. He can be a good scorer. He's like a guy when he catches his rhythm, rhythm he could be unstoppable. Sometimes he looks like, I don't know, Russell Westbrook. Of, uh -huh. you, Completely. In, in the Euro League. Euro League version of uh, Russell Westbrook. But uh, if, if a team has Wade Baldwin as their main point guard, I would say their ceiling is eighth or seventh seed but I wouldn't imagine this team going deeper or going to the final four. And however, I really like the addition of Simone Fontecchio. Uh, to, to, to add about Baldwin, uh, I think that in the playoffs against uh, Milano, it was not only a bad decision making, but he just couldn't control himself, getting some uh, crazy technicals, uh, crazy fouls, and just being so emotional in the on the crunch, uh, crunch time. I wish it was, you know, the lack of your league experience, but the problem is that probably it's more like, you know, part of his character, yeah. uh, part of his, not the attitude, but, you know, just, you know, being Wade Baldwin. And that's the thing he must change. He must develop if he wants, you know, to become a solid uh, floor general for, as you say, you know, at least uh, you looked uh, top, top a team. Well, funny thing is that um, a player in his career needs some luck. Even very talented players need some luck to be in the right place at the right time. You need a good environment, you need good chemistry with your teammates, and you need the right coach. Unfortunately, some players, especially I would say American players in Europe, sometimes throughout their careers do not find the best place for themselves, do not find the best coach for themselves. And it's debatable whether uh, coaches like Trinkieri or, or Ivanovic, the strict type of coaches, are the best ones to bring bring out the best of Wade Baldwin. Maybe he could flourish in an environment of Real Madrid, exchanging him with Nigel Williams-Goss. Maybe he would be better in a system like, like Pablo Lasso's. But this is like a question for debate. Uh, right now what I see is a very talented player that coaches are trying to control him and it's not necessarily very successful so far, but he can be a game changer. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, and talking about that 
let's say, mentoring uh, characters like Wade Baldwin, the problem is that neither in Bayern, there were players, you know, who could be uh, good examples for Wade Baldwin, or at least high-profile examples for him. Neither in Basconia, I cannot see, you know, any experienced uh, player who could be that mentor for Wade Baldwin to shift to another yeah. level. And as you said, you know, either, uh, I don't know, Real Madrid, uh I don't imagine the the ever team right now at the moment who would be a nice fit for him in terms of you know develop him as a if personality. If we are talking about those like playoff teams, because if we would be talking about those uh, teams like Alba Berlin, yeah, it's but yeah, he would be dominant, yeah, for yeah. sure. Another thing is that if Wade Baldwin could improve his three point shooting and become consistent, uh, I would see him as a shooting guard, not the main ball handler in my team. But I would give him a big role. Uh, he could be the starting shooting guard. But right now he's going to, to to teams where he is the main point guard and the main ball handler, which is I'm not sure is the best option. However, we know that Dusko Ivanovic was coaching Pierre Henry. Uh, he's a great point guard, uh, but also a player that is kind of unpredictable. And Dusko Ivanovic, there were some moments when you could see him on the on the sidelines going crazy after some decisions made by Pierre Henry and this season he's gonna be like this with Wade Baldwin as well. When I saw Basconia signing Wade Baldwin, I thought that it was like a suicide move. I mean because either Dushko or either uh Wade Baldwin they won't last in Basconia for, for full season, I guess. In my eyes, uh with all the respect uh, to all these guys, uh, but one of them you know, will have to lead the team uh, during the season because, you know, of personalities of Wade Baldwin and, of course, of uh, Dusko Ivanovic. So, I know. Uh, what what do you think, you know? Uh, who has more chances uh, well, uh, to leave? Basconia is not known for patience with coaches. Although the relationship between Dusko Ivanovic and the club probably is good because he was coaching them in the past he came back last season there were some moments where you could think he uh-huh. he might be fired because they were losing games but they finished strongly in the regular season they were competing for the playoffs i would say that dusko ivanovic could be one of the coaches losing his job during this season there are a lot of new faces in the team they lost some key players and it's not that easy to replace these guys like polonara henry and they might be struggling in the beginning of the season and knowing that uh, Basconia usually doesn't have a lot of patience and they, they change head coaches quite uh, quite often. I can't imagine a scenario where, where they lose like five games in a row and Dushko is out. Uh, Wade Baldwin, it would be probably quite expensive for, for the club to fire a player under a contract Wade Baldwin is probably one of their higher paid players at the moment, right? Yeah. So my prediction would be like this. Dusko Ivanovic, one of these coaches that will have a really difficult job in this upcoming season. Uh, however, I wanted, on a positive note, I really wanted to talk about Simone Fontecchio a little bit. I know you're I, a huge fan of him. I think it's a great signing, you know. He really... Uh, he really is one of the most improved players in the Euroleague. If we look at the at what he did kind of last year and, and how he see. played in the Olympics as well. And it's a great signing for them. Uh, forward that 
plays with amazing energy. He is good on the defensive end. He he's kind of a Tada Sedekerskis also with offensive skills. Yeah, because Tada Sedekerskis. Uh, but he doesn't we have lo- that we, we uh, LeBron him. James body like like Sedekerskis. <laughs> but you, but he has a good body and he has a lot he's of size. Strong. He uh-huh. has a lot of size and he is strong and he is smart. And Tada Sedekerskis, for example, that is his typical <laughs> stat line. He played 16 minutes and there were zero field goals. See, but that is a great he, defense. He's really. purely a defensive player. But Simone Fontecchio is a two-way player. Mm. He's very skilled on offense, but at the same time, you can trust him on defense. And he fits very well different defensive systems. He can play in a switch-all defense. He can play in other systems as well because he can cover positions one to four. Uh, I like him because he is a guy who came like sort of out of nowhere. Had a breakthrough season mm. in Alba Berlin. He had his. He was invited by Milan a few years ago, but he didn't make the rotation. Yeah. Now he had his career contract so far, and I think he's NBA material. To be honest, okay. If he has a couple of good seasons in Basconia, I do see him. Do you have any to comparisons to him in the NBA, which you know makes you feel that he can reach that potential and he can be a that good fit in the NBA? I mean, they're kind of different because uh, Gabriel Deck is more physical. Mm. But I could see him going through the same path. Uh, Gabriel Deck came to Real Madrid from the Argentinian league, and he played better and better with each season. And then he eventually got his move to the NBA. So I, I could see him in a similar lo- role in a similar path. Okay, he had ten points in a win against uh, Sassari, eighty-four seventy-two. With Bolvin, fourteen points. Alec Peters, seventeen points, four from seven. Landry Noko, 13, Gedraitis 11, and Vanya Marinkovic uh, 11. How was uh, how was Gedraitis? His, uh, his off-the-ball movement and everything. I thought that, you know, he started the game off the bench. Maybe it was a bit unusual uh, for him. I, I, I could feel that he was, uh, his shot was a bit off. Oh yeah, one from six uh, from three. And it seems like he, he tries, you know, to find that fit when there is Fontecchio uh, on, on this team too. So it's going to be interesting to, to see. But at the same time, uh, to conclude, I just wanted to say that we can talk about all these concerns in Vittoria, you know, for hours. Uh, but uh, if they will somehow they will manage, uh, you know, to avoid these uh, uh, toxic, you know, uh, concerns, toxin, toxic potential. If they will manage to uh, share the ball, uh, that will that might be very uh, beautiful team. Could be an watch. exciting team. Yeah, they, you know, Wade Baldwin, they needed him for his athleticism, but they also have shooters. Uh, when Dusko Ivanovic took over this team, they were the worst three-point shooting team in the Euroleague. So it was the problem number one to be solved. And they kind of solved this problem with guys like Gedraitis and uh, Alec Peters. Now they are adding Vanya Marinkovic, another shooter. So I, I do agree with you that there is potential. But we know that in, in, in Vitoria, coaches do not have a lot of time. So you need to start the season good. You need to be in a good position after, let's say, the first part of the EuroLeague regular season because it's difficult uh, to make a run in the second part to make the playoffs. And talking about Rokas Gedraitis, I would like to say that last season he started so well, mm. playing at an elite level, but then he dropped a little bit in the second part of the season. And I am expecting... 
more consistency to see a full good season of Rokas Gedraitis doing what he does best and he is also a player I could see in the NBA if he stays consistent okay yeah let's go to the next one yeah uh, Monaco uh, you watched that game too yeah uh, right mainly for Donatas Motiunas because uh, I wanted to oh by the way see him uh, once the last again. one about Basconia we made some power rankings before the season and I think that we left Basconia out of the playoffs like the 10th team or something like that uh, what would be your prediction because I, I I can see that you all you don't you also don't believe that they will make the playoffs no I, I don't I would see them as a 10th seed okay something like that I don't think that they will click immediately and uh, as I mentioned the It's a different season. Last year was pandemic and some elite teams really struggled in the first part of the season, even Anadolu, Fenerbahce as well. Uh, now you won't see that because everybody has a normal preseason and I do believe that the best teams will will be leading from the very beginning. And Basconia, I see them as a team that can compete, but I don't believe that they will be in the top eight. And Donatos Matunas? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just what I was focused on watching the yeah. Monaco FS game. To be honest, I actually skipped those parts when Dimo was not on the court. I was which, which just focused is, on him. Which is actually bad because there was uh, the guy whose name is uh, Donta Hall. He's a crazy athlete. And in my eyes, he and Josh Nebo will be probably the most uh, exciting big big men to watch the next season. They will for sure will be probably in every uh, EuroLeague uh, top 10 moments of the week uh, episodes. And that guy, wow, he's just crazy. He's long. His length is crazy. He jumps as high as I never, I, I didn't see for years in the EuroLeague. The problem is for sure, as the EuroLeague has to understand, you know, how to read uh, some situations uh, better. He's jumping, you know, every uh, shot and he, okay, he has some problems in like uh, team defense, but when it takes, you know, the rim protection, one-on-one -on -one defense uh, or, or all these, you know, um, How do, how do they say no, not the follow up uh, follow up uh, blocks but chase chase blocks chase down chase down blocks yeah, yeah. wow Dante Hall is he he's just crazy he 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 all he already had uh, James Anderson on the poster he made like uh, I there there weren't uh, any stats of that game but probably there were like five blocks so it, it's it's going to be very interesting to watch his his rookie experience but you know. We're probably going to talk more about Monaco because FS is FS. They, mm -hmm. they do what they do Everything and they, they, there's, not, there's not much to say. Uh, looking at Monaco, it's the first glimpse, of course, but just random basketball, to be honest. <laughs> they look bad, really. Uh, absolutely <laughs> random <laughs> basketball. and That was the worst, actually, of all these preseason games. That was the yeah, worst, what I saw. I, I don't know how long will it take for them to create some sort of a team basketball But in this friendly game against the EuroLeague champions, it was just super random, just like a G League team. And yeah, I was, as I mentioned, focused on Donatas Motiunas. And actually, well, he adds basketball IQ to this team. His, mm -hmm. his decision-making ability to make the lead pass, uh, to make a pass from a short roll to the corner free... Uh, It's quality, really, and it's been a long time since I saw Donatas Motiunas playing in a competitive environment, let's say. 
so I forgot some things about him. Actually, that he is a lefty, but he loves finishing with his right hand, which makes him kind of difficult to defend in the pose. He has some post moves. So he looked really decent on, on the offensive end with his decision making he started some fast breaks as well he was posting up brian dunston which is not an easy thing to do he seemed in in a decent shape however defense is the issue and mm. it's a friendly game right so there's not that much strategy and uh, coach ataman doesn't put a, an emphasis on let's say attacking demo with with pick and pop situations or any, anything like that but they are cons constantly attacking him with pick and rolls and you can only imagine that when the euroleague season starts every team does a scouting report and they will be targeting donatas motiunas so this is the question mark how good can he be improving his shape and 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 defending in pick and roll situations monaco as a team I don't really have an impression about them. They just look like a random team for me at the moment. Yeah, but of course, but it's unfair to judge them, you know, right now, especially in the first game, they changed a lot. Uh, and they also, you know, played against the EuroLeague champions, which like uh, didn't have any change during the summer. So the chemistry was uh, always there. And I, I think that they were lacking shooters in that game. They, they were lacking three-pointers in that game, but I'm afraid that that might be, you know, a constant issue for this uh, Monaco team. And it is, it's really hard to, uh, you know, to win the game when you uh, miss the open looks like Leo Westerman, for example, had like uh, three open looks in a row and he couldn't make a shot. Uh, other guys, uh, you know, they're... Um, their range is also very questionable so it's also very hard for uh, for guys like Donatas Motiunas who likes to involve other players he's probably one of the best passing uh, big men in the EuroLeague uh, for the upcoming uh, season but it's 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 really hard uh, for him you know in a uh, let's say in a smaller uh, court to use all of his offensive potential but yeah defensive issues are very uh, clear I just you know have that hope that He's a high IQ player, and maybe that thing, and also Coach Zvezdan Mitrovic, he's a really uh, good specialist, very smart coach. Maybe they will, you know, figure out how to hide his uh, his defense defensive uh, issues. Well, my prediction is that uh, Donatas Motiunas will have a good stat line in the upcoming yeah. season, but uh, we will be watching Monaco games, and I don't think that we will have a very good impression. Because, you know, when you look at, at at center position, you have many examples of players with decent stats. I could mention Joffrey Lavern from Jalgiris. You look at his stat line and you say these are great numbers. But then you watch the games and you not necessarily think that he is that effective as the numbers show. So I think that will be the case with, with Demo in this season. And yeah, it's the question how that effectiveness would uh, uh, will transmit uh, to you know winning percentage uh, of yeah. the team. I don't see Monaco as a winning team. That's the that's the main thing probably. And, you know, it's nothing bad about Monaco. They it just you know it's just their role in the Euroleague. They're coming. They're they're rookies in the Euroleague. Yeah. Uh, they don't have uh, you know huge budget. And they had many changes. Uh, they were still weeks away from at least a decent uh, form. It's kind of, you know, where, natural where growing they, pain. Where will they play their home games in their That's not clear yet. That's not, That's clear, not clear yet. yet. Right. Probably not in their 
uh, one. There were some rumors uh, about Antibes. There were also some rumors about uh, making something like uh, playing like an expo center, making the basketball court uh, inside. So it's not clear yet, but it should be clear in the upcoming days, uh, okay. maybe. And you mentioned uh, Geoffrey Laverne, and uh, I had that feeling, you know, how his numbers uh, uh, correlates, uh, or at least relates, you know, Mm, to the team chance to win the game and it was it, it was really tough to, to watch him against uh, Jonathan Motley uh, in the game against Lokomotiv because he was just destroying uh, Jalgiris uh, inside the paint and he yeah as you mentioned he had also some you know defensive issues which you can see in Donatas uh, Motiunas uh, game and what is interesting that Jalgiris uh, uh, their goal and this summer on the market was to find somebody you know who could add some rim protection because uh, they were allowing uh, too many uh, good percentage shots inside the paint the last season they were lacking off rim protection because they were one of the they had one of the lowest numbers uh, in terms of uh, block shots and stuff like that and you know it's pretty obvious that you know they want to upgrade uh, Joffrey's, you know, uh, defensive defensive issues, and I liked Joe Schneebo uh, very much. He didn't play uh, a lot of minutes. It's it's still obvious that he needs some confidence in himself. Uh, the way how he jumps, the way how athletic he is, and the way uh, what what's his character on the court. He seems to be like you know very nice, uh, very nice guy. Probably sometimes he might be too nice, so he has to find that you know inner aggressiveness, uh, you know, to fulfill his uh, potential. But the way he was like, uh, for example, uh, was playing you know switching uh, defense, uh, he had like three occasions against Eric McCollum when he was defending one on one in ISO situations. McCollum just couldn't make a shot; he couldn't you know create a good uh, look shot. So that, that you know that makes me believe that Jarlgar is upgraded in this situation and. And Josh Nebo might be the guy who might finish the games uh, yeah. in the upcoming Euroleague season. Yeah, I can I can see that. In the end of the game, it's easier for you to play switch all defense. Yeah. And Josh Nebo obviously is better at this than Geoffrey Laverne. Laverne could be very effective in the first half of the game, getting his numbers, playing all these pick and rolls. However, it's not the center position, probably about Jalgiris that is the hottest topic at the moment, right? If we talk about pick and rolls at the moment, it's more interesting who is on the other end of it with, with the ball in his hands and that's the new signing, the new point guard, Manuel Moudier. Moudier, right. Yeah. Intriguing. A player who was an... Well, he was a big NBA prospect, actually. He was quite a high Seventh overall pick. pick. Yeah. The only higher draft pick to play in Lithuania was Kenny Anderson, right? Mm. But he came as a veteran who was already finishing his career. Uh, so how was he? It was his first first game. It's an exhibition game, obviously, but still, he felt better when I ex- uh, he looked better than I expected. Uh, he scored, I think, twenty one points and uh, dished five uh, assists, something uh, something like that. Uh, just give me a second. Yeah. 21 point, uh, five assists, potential game winner. If, if not, the Eric McCullough, uh, Moody would have win that game for, uh, Jargiris. I like the way he changed the speed, 
uh, because he, sometimes he he looks like you know that kind of you know sluggish. Uh, he he doesn't seem to be so explosive uh, when you have that you know uh, first look uh, on him. But he he is able to switch the speed uh, during possession at an incredible rate, and that's how he uh, kind of created some very good looks for his, himself under the basket. Uh, you can see that his uh, shot uh, from the distance will be a problem, one for from four uh, from the three, uh, beyond the three-point uh, arc. And uh, um, some defensive situations were questionable, especially in the closeout situations. It seems like, you know, he's full of that American culture, you know, to contest uh, every shot and the uh, locomotive punished him uh, a lot. Uh, and of course, uh, he probably impressed me more than I expected, but at the same time, uh, I want to see some real challenges because, you know, uh, Eric McAuliffe, McCollum in defense was a mismatch. Uh, for and in general, Midi. this local team, they're, and yeah, they're and not... For example, when they switch, you have some, with all the respect, you know, Russian player uh, defending on, against him on ISO situations. In the EuroLeague, uh, it will be, you know, these matchups will be much uh, tougher on him. But uh, I have to, to be honest that I thought that it will take more time for him, you know, to show yeah. these dominant numbers. And I like the way how confident and how comfortable he felt on the court. We saw from the first possession uh, lob for Geoffrey Laverne, which uh, again makes me believe that Geoffrey Laverne will, you know, benefit uh, from from this connection during uh, the season. So uh, maybe a future might be bright for Moody and Jargiris. Should, he should be in a decent physical shape. He played in the summer league, mm -hmm. uh, but it will take time for him to learn and understand a different best different environment, different basketball, because EuroLeague and NBA, these are two different things. And uh, of course, we know what he can bring to the team. And I would say, uh, when we were talking in our first podcast, we were still discussing about uh, who can be the new point guard for Jalgiris. There were some names thrown at that time, but I said that I would like to see Jalgiris being creative in this situation, not signing some washed-up EuroLeague veteran, not signing someone... Alex <laughs> I didn't want to say it, man. <laughs> uh, I wanted to see them being creative to find somebody from the NBA Summer League or from the G League to risk with some player that hasn't played in Europe. These were my thoughts at the moment when I had no knowledge about their negotiations with Emmanuel Moody. And now I can say that my expectations are really met. This is something that I was actually expecting and hoping Jalgiris would do. Uh, something untraditional, uh, not usual for the EuroLeague market these days. And in my opinion, this is the type of high-risk, high-reward deal. Mm. I could see the bad scenario in which Emmanuel Moody struggles with the EuroLeague basketball, struggles with his inconsistent jump shot, struggles to control the team as the true floor general, the true point guard. And uh, in the end, we would be saying that it was not successful. However, I could see the best scenario as well in which Emmanuel Moody starts dominating games Turns out to be better than Thomas Walker because he has just as much physicality. He can be just as good on, in one-on-one -on -one defense and he dominates 
on offense, driving, scoring, actually making those jump shots because he can make jump shots. It's just that he's not consistent. And I can see this scenario as well in which he ends up after a good season in Konas signing a um, couple to two million deal, uh, two million euro per year deal in, with another elite Euroleague team or getting back to the NBA, which probably is his initial goal. So I could see both of these scenarios, with, which is why I'm saying this is high risk, high reward type of deal. And I hope for the best. I hope this will work for Jalgiris. Yeah, that's that's for sure. That's a great addition because it, it adds some nastiness uh, for 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 this uh, for sure. Jalgiris team. Yeah, to, to finish about him, you know, my only concern is that uh, how he can adjust in a smaller uh, on a smaller court. Uh, because many teams gonna play under uh, against him, and it's it might be tough, you know, for him, especially you know during his first season in the Euroleague, teams will scout him, so it's gonna be adjustment. But uh, but but I like it. Uh, in just need, need some yeah. scoring power in this because roster. By the way, besides him. I'm lacking of another guy who could be, you know, that kind of uh, scorer. Probably Lukas Lekajevic has become the best scorer on that team. Or Yanis Trelnik playing, playing pick and rolls if he stays healthy. But this Jalgiris roster, this looks like a group of nice guys. Uh-huh. But always talking about Lithuanian teams, I, I expect to see some nasty Americans who can take the ball in their hands, who can play the clutch minutes who can take the responsibility make some tough shots now i see a group of really nice guys who are nice together some veterans some younger players is this a winning formula also having a nice coach by the way in in martin schiller super nice team in in, uh, yeah it's a super nice environment (laughs) to be in is it a winning environment that's the question and emmanuel moody can be the game changer in this case because if they lack somebody who can score, who can play one-on-one, who can make big buckets, he could be the guy. Will he be? I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, there are so many factors here because we, we, we know that his path in the NBA was sort of difficult with some obstacles. When you are a lottery pick, there's already pressure for you from the very beginning, from the rookie season, especially sophomore season. He didn't deliver in the NBA. It didn't work out for him that well in Denver, in New York. In the last few years, we kind of forgot about him. And now Ralgir is trying to resurrect the real Emmanuel Moody. He's young. He's still kind of young. You cannot, only 25. Yeah, you cannot wow. say that he, he's like the veteran player that the best years are in the past. Maybe the best years are still in the future. Maybe in two years' time, we will be seeing Emmanuel Moody with a solid role in a good NBA team. I think that Lithuanian listeners would love to hear your take about Jargiris playoff chances and just, you know, your general take about uh, this team. You already mentioned some things, but uh, in that base, in that best, you know, Moody scenario, uh, mm-hmm. does Jargiris, you know, is in the playoff uh, race? Not the race, actually in the playoffs. Well, I have to be honest, if I, I if I said about Basconia and I see them as the 10th seeds, I can't really see Dralgiris having a better roster and better chances in the upcoming season. Yes. So you put uh, them below Basconia, right? Probably. I mean, they had a 50% winning season last year. And if they could do that again, 
I think it would be great. Because this EuroLeague, like I said, will be different. FS, Fener, and others will not be struggling in the beginning of the season. They will be prepared from, from the very first game. So, Jalgiris in this case, I don't know. I, I don't really see them making the playoffs or actually running for the playoffs. This is my honest opinion. Emmanuel Moody is the signing that I like. One of my favorite signings over the past five years, I would say, in Jalgiris. But others... When they signed Yanis Trelnikas, to be honest, I was disappointed. Uh. Injury-prone veteran player. On his best day, he can be good in the pick and rolls. He can create, he can score. But when were his best days? When was the last time you saw Yanis Trelnikas actually having a good game in EuroLeague? Probably in Olympiakos, like three, four years ago. Probably, yeah. And his best version was in Bamberg. But right now... Strelnik is good. He's very smart. He can pass the ball uh, really good. He can shoot uh, trees uh, very efficiently. But the thing is that I wouldn't trust him as my main uh, shooting guard. And he could be, you know, he can contribute as a good uh, role player. Not, well, you know, probably the third uh, most expensive guy on the I'm team. I'm not questioning his like mm. personal abilities. I, I believe he's a he's a good human being he's a good basketball player but at the moment i see him as an injury prone veteran who is stepping down from being in the rotation in one of the best euroleague teams to a team that's i don't know at best competing for playoffs and uh, other signings as well when you look at what jalgiris lost during the summer and what they added niels giffey tyler kavana could be Good role players could be good if the leaders are f are leading the team. They can do their job. They can do their part. But knowing what Nigel Hayes was capable of, knowing what Marius Grigonis was capable of, I'm not sure if it's enough. I cannot say that Jalgiris looks stronger this year than they were last season. They can because, you know, they have three million uh, less than the last season. So... Yeah, I understand yeah, why yeah. it is like that. Yeah, yeah. I understand what your question was. Do I see them making the playoffs? Uh, I don't see them being I mean, better. in the best scenario of Emmanuel Moody, if he will no, be I, successful. No, I, I still don't see I still don't see them be being better than they were last year. Mm. I don't think they will be. Although, of course, it's the second season for Martin Schiller, so we could see the coach improving and reacting better to what's happening on the court and preparing a game plan for, 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 for every single match. Now he has his own coaching staff, let's say. He made changes in the coaching staff. Let's not forget that. He brought in his, his people to help him. So we will see, as always, for us, of course, Shalgiris is the number one team to follow, but I cannot say I have this feeling that it's going to be a special season. I, I don't think so. Also, you know... When you see that they will be dependent on veterans and veterans will still have a role. Not only Strelnex, Milaknis, Jankunas, Kalnetis. Kalnetis. Well, let's be honest, these are declining players. And in, in the best case scenario, I would have two guys like this on my roster, mm -hmm. not four or five. I agree. Who do you like more, uh, Manuel Moody or Shabazz Napier? Because they are two of the yeah. most exciting uh, EuroLeague rookies. You can also watch the top 10 most exciting EuroLeague uh, rookies on our YouTube channel, uh, Basket News. But uh, I remember that we rated Emmanuel as the number one. Is he the number one for you? 
both are very exciting signings, quite recent signings. And I really saw more games with Emmanuel Moudier and Shabazz Napier, but I know that both of these guys were pretty big prospects in the NBA. Uh, well, Shabazz Napier is coming to a better team. That's my opinion, but he will also have all these same struggles that Emmanuel Moody will have to overcome. This is the new environment. This is Euroleague, different basketball. Uh, he will play for a very demanding coach. For example, if we look at coaching for Emmanuel Moody, it will be easier, I believe. The main thing is for him to start his connection with Joffrey Lovell and Josh Nebo playing these pick and rolls. And it's not like Martin Schiller will be yeah, gi giving him a lot of set plays. Yeah, which he won't to have a right? hundred sets in your yeah, head. You know, yeah, on the there floor. won't be a hundred sets. Yeah. And Xavi Pascual in St. Petersburg in Zenit, well, he is known for his tactics, for his schemes, and, and, and for a point guard to play under Xavi Pascual, it's the demands are very, very high. And, and Kevin Pangos was so good at this and to replace him is difficult for anybody. And I know that Shabazz Napier coming from NBA believes in himself, but I think his task is more difficult because if Shabazz uh, Napier struggles and Zenit struggle and they don't make the playoffs, it's a fiasco scenario, right? And if Emmanuel Moudier plays Decently, not great, but decently. And Jalgiris finishes like with, I don't know, 15 wins in a season. Everybody would say it's, it's okay. We can live with that. So the pressure is more like on, on Shabazz than, than that's, Moody. That's a good topic because before signing up Jalgiris, Moody's camp uh, kind of demanded Jalgiris that, hey, guys, look, okay, he, he will be the most exciting name on your roster, but just don't act like you're going to, you know, put all the pressure on his shoulders. Do not ask, uh, you know, him becoming, you know, 20-point guy uh, from the day one of uh, Jalgiris' uh, training camp. It, it, and it was a big issue because Moody's camp wanted to put him in the EuroLeague in the right situation, probably they couldn't, you know, if, for example, it was an open roster space for Real Madrid, I don't believe that, you know, that deal would have happened. And yeah. uh, uh, what is good about Schiller, uh, probably, you know, his, like, uh, freedom for his players and his, uh, mm, let's say, character... Uh, also helped because uh, Moody's camp uh, also mentioned that Moody uh, was not going to any other European team except from Jargiris because of the conditions uh, they provided, you know, both uh, on and off the court. So that's that's interesting because there are big shoes to fill in yeah. uh, St. Petersburg. But what I think that uh, you watched NBA games, uh, you, you watched more NBA games, but I think that Shabazz Napier is more suitable for the EuroLeague basketball. For me, Shabazz is a more like a, you know, floor general in terms of, you know, playmaking involving others, while Moody was like more of a, a, a scorer. And that's why he actually, you know, uh, couldn't adjust uh, and couldn't fulfill the Utah Jazz expectations uh, two seasons ago. Well, they are different players, Shabazz Napier. I wouldn't call him a pure playmaker as well. He loves to score. He loves to shoot. Uh, they're different in a sense that Shabazz Napier, you can compare him to Kevin Pangos. Emmanuel Moody, you can compare him to Thomas Walker. Shabazz Napier is six foot high and he's smaller. He's not as athletic as Moody. So you can compare him to Kevin Pangos, right? Emmanuel Moody is six foot 
5, I believe, or 6'4". Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so he's closer to Thomas Volkop. He's athletic. He has a strong body. He can defend. So these are adequate comparisons you can make. And also another thing which we should not uh, underestimate. Emmanuel Mudia, as you said, he's 25 years old. Shabazz Napier is 30 years old. Mm-hmm. He's more experienced as a person as well as a basketball player. Although his NBA career was not really that successful as well. But he's not a lottery pick. He's a 25th pick, two-time NCAA champion. So these are really different personalities and different basketball players going to very different uh, systems and teams. But I would agree these are the most exciting signings we've seen recently. Which is good that we're gonna, we can compare and probably we're going to compare them uh, during the season. But the good thing is that uh, they started their preparation uh, pretty well. For example, uh, Moody, as I said, he had a good game. I've also heard that uh, uh, teammates uh, like him. He doesn't have any, you know, superstar requi- requirements. He doesn't ask, you know, for some like uh, sports car, some, you know, castle in Konas <laughs> or something. He's very uh, easy uh, going guy and there are no problems sometimes there were players in Jargidis which you can you know see from their eyes that when you talk about Jargidis arena about the history of the club they just don't care uh, and um, they weren't involved you know uh, in, in in the club's history and the club's mentality uh, but this is different with uh, Moody and uh, also Napier from what I've heard that you couldn't say that he didn't play in Europe before uh, uh, um, from how he adjusted to the let's say European basketball in the preseason stage, how he adjusted uh, off the court. And although Xavi has, you know, millions of uh, sets, uh, he doesn't look lost on the court, at least so far. It's very early, you know, to say. Uh, I think that they will have a bit different routes the upcoming season. Uh, But for sure, I'm happy to have these NBA guys in the EuroLeague. And there are a few good examples for Emmanuel Moody to follow. Uh, I can see Jalgiris being a good stepping stone for his career. So we could take some examples. Sonny Weems, James Anderson. Both Americans came with no EuroLeague experience, playing only in the NBA. They had good seasons in Jalgiris. Then Sonny Weems moved to CSK, Moscow, and James Anderson... What was his next team after Jalgiris? Because he, he came back to the NBA. Had, he came back to the NBA, yeah. then it was... Which was Dar- a mistake because then, CSK Moscow wanted him. Yeah, and then was Darushafaka and then mm-hmm. eventually Anadolu. But uh, after Jalgiris, he signed good contracts with good teams. And now he's a EuroLeague champion. Sonny Wims did not win the EuroLeague, but he was dominating the EuroLeague, playing mm-hmm. in Moscow with Milos Teodosic and all these other guys. So uh, these are good examples for Emmanuel Moody to follow, I would say. Probably the last... Uh, friendly game you have to discuss is probably the best one uh, TSK2 uh, against Samara <laughs> right wow I was surprised to see Mike James you know playing that game making two blocks <laughs> five points unfortunately his team his new team couldn't win that game <laughs> well it's like pick up basketball you know Mike James is training and if these guys ask him to join you want to play a little bit yeah man why not he plays, he, he makes... I can imagine he, him just, you know, working out in gym, yeah. like, you know, just enjoying his time, and he was just invited, you know, from, from nowhere. Yeah, why not? Well, you're paying me two and a half million dollars, so... Yeah, I, I can, can play some games. I can play a little bit. <laughs> it's 
a funny situation, of course. We've discussed uh, uh, today in the yeah. morning uh, some other examples like Tyrese Rice in Barcelona. I remember Zoran Planinj being stuck in an Adolo FS, sort of, sort of becoming a hostage. But you're a very well-paid hostage. <laughs> so if you, even if you don't play, we both follow Mike James on Twitter, so we see what he is... Uh, what he is writing and probably his message is that two years I'm gonna take my money and I'm gonna retire. <laughs> his Twitter feed is as exciting as his game. Oh yeah, actually. Oh yeah. Uh, so I just want that uh, Mike won't retire in two years, as he as he tweeted, because we need that uh, nastiness uh, again, again, both on uh, and off the court. I would love to see him continuing in the Euroleague, but at the moment it seems like he. Will end up in the NBA probably. At least that's what NBA people were talking yeah. and in summer, but probably they couldn't imagine that Mike will have uh, these kind of problems with CSK, which is, we can laugh, we can make fun of it, but uh, to for CSK to have these kind of problems is very unusual. And I talked with people who work in this business for many years. They said that it's very strange that uh, TSK uh, couldn't solve uh, this issue, you know, before the upcoming season. Uh, and, you know, nobody could see, you know, that happening, that yeah. Mike would come to Moscow, would play for the CSK too. And it's not clear yet how this uh, situation uh, will be solved out. So, But at the moment, it seems impossible that he would join you the, want him and Alexis the first team on the same and, team? And, and start playing. I mean... You know me, you know that Mike James is my favorite player in the EuroLeague, so I would love to see him with Alexis Schwed, without Alexis Schwed, whatever. I would love to see him playing, but it does not seem possible at the moment, right? So I just want to imagine Dimitri Satoudi seeing, uh, sitting in, in a room and uh, Vatutin coming in and saying, Mike is back, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's going to be a good idea. Yeah, Mike you is back. You have to deal with it. <laughs> he, he's back. He's going to play. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i wish i wish yeah. you know he could join csk and if not csk um i don't know the fit right now i cannot find a good fit for him the euroleague uh but yeah we definitely need mike back on the court i don't want him to retire no no like no. this you know spending his days in csk second team just tweeting all day and not playing in the EuroLeague. At least I would expect him to sign with an NBA team and have a role. Because he was not bad in Brooklyn. He was good. He was okay. Especially in the end of the regular season. It was more difficult in the playoff series with Milwaukee. But in, in general, he was okay. He, he proved that he can play in, in the NBA in a serious team with serious teammates. So why not? Guys, just a quick reminder. Our bonus is available on all major streaming platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and so on. Uh, just write your bonus in, in the search bar and make sure to follow us uh, so you don't miss out our future episodes. Also, do not forget to visit basketnews.com where you will find the latest European basketball news and exclusive content. One guy in from the NBA who who's not okay with his situation is Ricky Rubio, right? It you're, seems so. Yeah. Who would be? You're in Tokyo, you're waking up in the morning preparing for your Olympic game, and, oh man, I got traded to Cleveland. I think it, that was before an <laughs> important game of yes, the Olympics. Yes, with Slovenia. Yeah. Uh, I, I do remember very clearly because I was uh, covering this game. And, and that uh, was a bad game for Rubio, right? 
he, he scored a lot, but his field goal percentage yeah. was down. That was the day when he got traded to mm. Cleveland. Yeah. That's a nightmare. It should be like heartbreaking, I would imagine, because I mean, nothing against Cleveland, so but unlucky. Ricky Rubio deserved a better organization or a better shot at the championship uh, throughout all these years. He's just super unlucky, man. No, he's a great player. He's actually valued in the NBA. His skills are appreciated, but he has the sort of a good contract that fits in various trade scenarios because you need the, to match the cap spaces and Ricky Rubio has a contract that actually works in many trade scenarios. Uh, he was in Phoenix. It seemed like now he found his place. He's clicking with Devin Booker. They are having a good NBA bubble. Uh, they didn't make the playoffs, but next year they could be a playoff team. It could be fine for them. Bam. Phoenix go for Chris Paul. Ricky Rubio is moved. And you cannot blame them. You know, they yeah, made the NBA yeah, finals. So. They made what's best for them. Ricky Rubio ends up in Minnesota where he started his NBA career. And he sort of feels okay with that. He likes Minnesota. Sort of. <laughs> well, 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 he likes Minnesota. I mean, from what I read in his Players' Tribune, it seemed like Minnesota became his sort of second home. So he plays there. It's not a winning team. It might get better because they have some talent. And then another summer, another trade. And now you're get going to Cleveland, which is dead. Cleveland is dead. There's nothing about this team. <laughs> what, Kevin Love? <laughs> I mean, I just feel sorry for Ricky. And he becomes the free agent in, uh, in the next summer. And I'm not really surprised that he said he will be considering offers from NBA as well as Europe. Because... If you if you can imagine him playing in Euroleague, he would be playing for one of those elite teams. He would have a guaranteed contract. There are no trades. You're focused on winning titles. You're leading a team. And if, let's say, hypothetically, he could go back to Barcelona, that would be amazing. I can see him playing for Sharas. I can see him leading this team. I can see, see him doing... A better job than Nicolatis does. I would love to see that. I'm not sure if it's possible knowing Barcelona's financial situation. Of course, there could be other clubs going for Ricky if he's a free agent and he's considering uh, a move back to Europe. He's still in his prime years. His past two tournaments for, for Spain were amazing. World Cup MVP in these Olympics, he was unstoppable but it's just that they met uh, Team USA in the quarterfinals and they were a bit unlucky but against USA he scored 37 or something I, I want him back but I think that before returning to Europe he will uh, you know reconsider his uh, NBA situation and probably he might be he might you know go for a minimum contract but for playing for a contender, you know, contender team yeah. and you know that would be logical Ricky deserves you know NBA uh, ring before returning for, to Europe but for sure for Barca it would be a dream scenario to have uh, you know their former player back I, I don't remember when Kalaitis contract will expire but that for sure would be an upgrade I don't imagine Ricky in 
many Euroleague teams, for example, uh, you know, if, if we if we talk about the elite teams, I don't see him, you know, coming to CSK and, you know, getting through that, you know, cold uh, winter in CSK, not because uh, he couldn't adjust, you know, he, he played in Minnesota for so many years, but, you know, in the situation when you can choose, you know, you, you choose would like chance, to play at uh, home son, in Spain, yeah, for yeah, sure. and at home, and he won't go to Real Madrid, uh, probably. Turkey? Turkey. Messi's moving to the NBA? I don't know. Trying I, I mean, if he's coming him. back, Barca will do everything in their power I to, so. to get him. Nikola Mirotic probably set an example for Europeans playing in the NBA. Well, not hmm. superstar Europeans like Jokic or Doncic, but players who are more simple, let's say. He set an example that screw the NBA, you can go back to Europe, you can have a good contract, you can play for titles every season, you can earn money. The difference actually these days is not that huge. If you take like $10 million a year in an NBA team, considering all the taxes, depending on the state in which you play in, and 4 million euros or something like that in Europe with a three or four year guaranteed contract and you will not be traded, you will not have to move with your family to someplace else. You will be guaranteed three or four years in a good team, in a good city. So considering all these factors and knowing what Nikola Mirotic did, I believe that in the future we will see good European players going back from the NBA to EuroLeague, not when they are aged veterans, but when they are still shining and they are still in their prime. In previous Urbanus podcast, Eric McCollum uh, told that CJ McCollum's uh, most favorite EuroLeague team is Barcelona. And, you know, he would love to end, end his career when he's done playing in NBA. He would love to join Barca and to play, you know, with Eric McCollum. So I would love to see, you know, uh, <laughs> such a backcourt with Rubio and McCollum. But, you know, with Americans, it's a different story. With Europeans, they know where they're going, why they're going there. Mirotic knows everything about EuroLeague, Rubio as well. Well, for Americans, even though CJ McCollum's favorite team is Barcelona, I'm not sure he fully understands what sort of situation he would be in playing for Barcelona and, and what are the requirements and what is the regular season in, in the EuroLeague in comparison to the NBA. So I can yeah. imagine, you know, Charles complaining uh, him about, you know, early early shots, some some crazy decisions. But man, I, I would take CG McCollum to Barca in any situation. Well, it would be a no-brainer, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But, you know, it's easy to say these kind of things that, yeah, I would love to play in Barcelona or something like that. When you're sitting in Portland, being the second best player next to Damian Lillard. Yeah. The last part of our po podcast. Uh, we didn't mention it before the podcast, but uh, we made uh, two interesting fives. Uh, yeah. One will be all-time EuroLeague five. Uh, talking about the modern EuroLeague, which is probably from 2000-2001. Yeah. And we will make the five of uh, all underrated five, let's yeah. say. And how we understand the term of underrated, it's very ind individual, right? Yeah, well, for me, underrated, uh, I would say it's either a guy who was playing or is playing for an elite team in EuroLeague, playing good, playing the right way, winning titles but not being in a spotlight because there are others or a player who has been playing for good teams 
he was valued, but he didn't win titles. Maybe even didn't make that many Final Fours. So in this case, he could be underrated in comparison to others who had more titles. So that's how I I understand this. And uh, other than that, when we are talking about best of all time, it's mm. also something that is very subjective because yeah, of course. you can just say, I like this player more than the other. Both of them are legends, but I just like him more. And you do not necessarily need to be a very objective in, in, in this case. Should we start from all time five? Yeah, let's go. Okay. Who do you have as your point guard? Probably we go from position to position, yeah, right? Yeah, okay. We can start with the point guard. And uh, there are many honorable mentions, oh, of course. Many honorable. And let's make one thing clear. In terms of skills and his potential career, obviously Luka Doncic is best of the best. Oh yeah, but but we are evaluating, and we cannot involve that guy you know who played only one you know solid Euroleague yeah. season. Yeah, So so we are evaluating a player's general Euroleague career, and mm-hmm. not only what he did in terms of winning, but the impact he had on the league as a mm-hmm. as, yeah. as a whole and. and all sort of stuff. Yeah, for example, so, I, I, I I wanted to include players like Anthony Parker to this all-time all, all five, but he played four seasons for one team, and I was not sure if that's enough, you know, to be considered as one of the five best players in the EuroLeague. Okay, spoiler, but I have Anthony oh Parker. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but again, that's very individual. Talking about the point guard. So, yeah, that this is why uh, <laughs> I, I did not consider Luka Doncic. Uh-huh. He won the Euroleague, he won the MVP, but uh, I was choosing from these legendary players and my choice is Dimitris Diamatidis at point guard because I love two-way players, first of all, and Dimitris Diamantidis probably is the best guard in the modern Euroleague. I have Euroleague. Diamantidis, the, the same, but uh, not only his all-around player, he, probably he's the best all-around point guard we had in the Euroleague. I don't see, he, he won the best defender title for for six times in the EuroLeague, and I don't see anything, anybody close uh, to him nope, in the EuroLeague. Nope, and in today's basketball, I would imagine point guard with this size, left-handed with these skills, he would be even better in the in today's EuroLeague than he was 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I, w- I always admired uh, Diamantidis. Obviously, his pick and rolls with Mike Batiste, they were unstoppable. And you have to give honorable mentions to Sharas and mm-hmm. other great point guards, Teodosic. But Dimitris Diamantidis is on top shelf because of his defensive abilities. And I would say he is one of top five European players that never played in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I would say Diamantidis, Bodroga. Yeah. He could have played in the NBA. I I would see him in the NBA for sure, with his IQ, with his defense, with his physicality. But he was just loyal to Pau, and he is one of those big Panathinaikos legends. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, my shooting guard is another guy from Greece, okay, uh, Vasilis uh, Spanoulis, because when I made this, you know, all-time five, I tried, you know, to find the players. Uh, who brings their own culture, who have unique mentality. And when I think about Spanulis, for me, he's like the Kobe of the EuroLeague. He's just so different. He can be so dominant 
Uh, he won the Euroleague three times and two times it was with the underdogs. So that's that's a huge huge accomplishment. He he was a three time Finals MVP. Uh, he's the top sc- top scorer uh, of the Euroleague, and I mean there were so many good, great, amazing players for these positions. But you know having that full package of being very talented scorer, uh, having in mind his uh, killer mentality. The most clutch player yes, clutch in, in the Euroleague history. Plays, how he managed you know, to lead underdog team, uh, I just think that he, he is the best. Okay, but I didn't pick Vasilis Panouris. First of all, I, I have to give an honorable mention to my favorite player of all time, which is Manu Ginobili. Okay. Uh, he... For Played. some reason, I thought that you will bring Carlos Delfino name <laughs> no, <laughs> after no, no. our discussion. Manu, Manu <laughs> is my favorite player of all time, and uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, he played D- two you know, seasons. Just, just for people uh, to understand me, you know, that's kind of you know inside joke about Carlos because like uh, 14 years ago <laughs> we were uh, laughing about uh, buying uh, Carlos Delfino uh, shirt, shirt uh, when he was playing. Probably it was still Detroit. I don't remember very well. But he was on fire in in the tournament for Team Argentina, making these deep, he, he deep three-pointers. On fire. So <laughs> arrogant <laughs> and just taking shots from 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 every angle. Uh, yeah, so we were uh, sort of uh, fan club of uh, Carlos Delfino. He was like a cult hero for us. But <laughs> Manu Ginobili is my favorite basketball player of all time. So an honorable mention because he only played two seasons uh, for Bologna in, in the modern EuroLeague. He won the EuroLeague. He was uh, the best player in these seasons. He was averaging three steals per game, which is amazing. Crazy number. And he's a unique basketball player. So if he would have played more in the Euroleague, I would pick him, obviously, in this all-time list. But now I have to go for, for La Bomba. Oh, yeah. That was my consideration. Ivor Spanulis or Navarro? Yeah, Juan Carlos Navarro, wow. I mean, he's not physical, he's not athletic, he doesn't jump, but he was the first player in Europe that actually proved to everyone that you can take these crazy floaters and runners. Because uh, I remember... Uh, I was like a teenager. I was playing basketball. My my friends were playing basketball uh, in some youth teams. No coach at the moment would allow to take a shot like Juan Carlos Navarro does. So you knew that there was only this one guy that can do this in in in, in Europe at the moment. So La Bomba, he takes these floaters, but nobody else. Now it's common. Everybody does that. So you can say that he influenced a lot of players, and he influenced. He was a lot kind of, of coaches. Steph Curry, early Steph Curry. Yeah, he, he he made an impact to everybody in in Europe, and he was a pure shooting guard, very smart, quick release, uh, great off the ball movement. You could say he's not very good on defense, but you didn't see that as an issue because he was doing so many good things. Absolute legend, once again, one club man in Barcelona. He went to the NBA. He played a season in the NBA. He was not bad in the NBA, but he decided that it's better for him to play in, in, in Catalonia. So, I always uh, de- I always loved that Juan Carlos joke that, uh, you know, I tried to interview for, for several times, but he always said that he doesn't speak English. So that's, that's a classic joke by Juan Carlos. <laughs> yeah, so he is my shooting guard in this list. Uh, I mean, I I do appreciate everything about Vasilis Panoulis, and I I can understand your arguments. 
but for me we don't Juan need Carlos to apologize Tavares. so that's that's okay yeah. i like your lineup because both diamantidis and navarro uh played only for one team in their career yeah. right yeah yeah uh, i have to say that i wasn't very confident with my selection in small forward and power forward position so i would love to hear your first uh so Opinion. Talking talking about the small forward, uh, you know the spoiler I mentioned earlier. It's, oh, Anthony it, Parker, it's Anthony yeah, Parker, yeah, and yeah. I will say why. Yes, what you mentioned. He only played for Maccabi. He only played four seasons. He went to the NBA. Then he was pretty successful with with Cavaliers, with Toronto Raptors. But when he played in Maccabi, he was Air Jordan in Euroleague at the time. Once again, I was a teenager in these in these years. I was playing basketball myself. I was watching as many Euroleague games as it was possible at the time. And at the same time, being a big NBA fan, Anthony Parker was really like Air Jordan in Europe or Kobe. Clutch baskets, uh, leading his team, fadeaway Smart jump decisions. shots, yeah. great decisions, dunking, high-flying, everything. He had a full package. He was dominant he was a beast he was playing in a in an amazing team with with Sharas with with Boston with uh, Vucic. Vucic with coach Pini Gershon just saying you know how to play Eating basketball you, you, in the practices you do your yeah. thing you do your thing Anthony Parker wow man he is he was kind of a role model for many players I believe at that time mm. uh, you could argue he's the best American player yeah that played in the EuroLeague The only thing is that you know he played for the best team uh, I've witnessed in the Euroleague. I think that that team, that Maccabi team, uh, was the best team in in twenty years. So that's my only concern. You know how I've, I don't have many doubts about Anthony Parker. I was just and you know, know like, another thing. Maybe it's not as important, but still, um, at that time it was not so common for Euroleague teams to play uh, with NBA teams in the off mm -hmm. in the preseason, but. Uh, Maccabi, I believe, they were the first ones to win against an NBA team, and it was with Anthony Parker's buzzer w against Toronto. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. So, just another thing <laughs> to mention. Uh, my selection was paid by Lithuanian Basketball Federation because I took Ramunas Shishkauskas. I, I I saw your smiling before announcing my decision, but that's just the reason why I had very hard time you know to pick a real small forward yeah. because you know i could bring some shooting guards some guards and let's say to make my all five free uh, guards but i just valued seven very quality euroleague seasons with uh, shishkauskas he was a go-to guy both for panathinaikos in their euroleague winning season and again he won with csk Mo moscow let's not forget how he played in treviso Oh yes, yes, he was amazing in Italy. It took some time for him, but in the second season he was much much better. He was uh, he was playing for Ettore Messina. He was playing for the best coaches. Best coaches uh, wanted him, like Jelko, uh, like Messina. He and he was super efficient. I was surprised that I mean Shishkauskas was taking so many like contested shots. Uh, he was uh, uh, making shots, you know, with the contact. It was not easy basketball for him, but his career two-point percentage uh, percentage is 55, three-point percent percentage is uh, 42. Great so, numbers. And he's uh, third best scorer in the EuroLeague Final Fours, uh, 14.7 uh, points per game, the final four games. So, I mean, 
Shishkaskas was was really amazing. That's a strong case for a Lithuanian player. Yeah. That's a good choice. And and you know, Ramona Shishkauskas uh is not a common figure in Lithuanian basketball because he's more of a street type of a player than a oh, yeah. systematic team player which we played used street to. ball until eighteen, yeah. something like and that. And he looked street smart on the court, making all these moves, uh, taking sometimes shots that for other players would be impossible and he was a playmaker it doesn't matter which position he covers whether it's one two or three he he's the playmaker and we can remember for Lithuanian national team because we always have a problem with the point guard position if Sharuna Sisikiewicz doesn't play that summer we don't have people we don't have quality yeah. in the point guard position and Shishkauskas would be the guy who can who can take the ball and and, and organize the team so it's a good choice, although I would like to mention Bodroga as well. Oh, yeah. But, you know, in this modern EuroLeague, yeah, he that, didn't that, play that's the enough. Thing. That's, yeah, the, yeah. that's the thing. He, he, he made his most of his achievements in the end of the 20th century, yes, yes. let's say. But Bodroga would be one... Would make the case for sure. Would be another European player that I would say is one of the best to never play in the NBA. So Power forward. forward. Yeah. yeah, and uh, as you said, it's, it was <laughs> not easy. So I went for something legendary, not necessarily Mr. For, for skills. Scola. No. no. Okay. No. Oh. No. I didn't go for Luis Scola. Uh -huh. uh, Who's more legendary than Luis Scola? Bring it to me. Well, you know, Luis Scola, he did some big things in, in Vitoria. Uh, he moved to the NBA and he played most of his part in, in NBA. And I chose uh, once half of his part, I would say. You know, before yeah, reaching his yeah. peak, he yeah, spent course, many of years course. in Tau Ceramica. He, he, he was good in Tau Ceramica, it's, it's, it's not questionable. But I went for a player who retired recently as a, as a legend, and I mean, he's a Real Madrid legend, so... Felipe Reyes. Felipe Reyes, wow. Felipe Reyes. Wow. Talking about skills... He could make the underrated five. He could, yeah. yeah. But, you know, talking about skills, you could say like, oh, but Nikola Mirotic is, is like all-around yeah. better player. But I would... I was taking an overall impact on a team. What he does, he does all the dirty plays. Nobody wants to play against him. He uses his elbows, he uses his body. He grabs rebounds, not because he jumps high, but because he takes a good position and he just doesn't allow anybody else to get that rebound. And a very smart player, one of the players that won all these big things with the Spanish national team. and. Uh, in Euroleague, he only played for Madrid, once again, a one-team player. Of course, he played for Estudiantes, but... All your four picks but, played... But, but, oh, uh, I think Anthony Parker, he played only for Maccabi, right? Anyway, you can continue, I will. So, uh, didn't Anthony Parker make a comeback to Oli for Pini Gershon? Check, check on that, okay? No, 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 no he, he didn't. didn't. He didn't, yeah. So, Felipe Reyes, you, you, you look at his numbers, some seasons he was scoring like... 13, 12 points per game, some seasons, nine points per game, but he was so consistent. You always know what he can do and you always know he will deliver. I do not remember peak prime Felipe Reyes having a bad game. He was always consistent. Of course, in the past few years, he was more of a symbol for the Mentor, team. Yeah. Like, yeah, the veteran player. But uh, I remember perfectly clear the best days of Felipe Reyes and I would choose him in my lineup. For example, in that championship campaign in 2016, he was averaging 10.8 uh, points per game. 
So, you know, we kind of remember him as a dinosaur in the uh, past few years, but uh, not so many years ago, yeah. he was he was making a huge impact. You could argue that in, in today's game, he would be more of a center, mm -hmm. but yeah. throughout his career, he was more of a power forward. Yeah, and I took uh, Luis Cola. I don't have uh, a lot of to say. You know, you you know everything about him. Uh, the only thing is that he never won the EuroLeague, and uh, that's the case for most of the Tau Ceramica. They had many great guys: Mazzioni, Mazzimazzi, uh, Pablo uh, Prigioni. I love Delmer Bennett uh, too. They were many really really good uh, players, but they just they made uh, Scola made. Four final four appearances. Uh, actually, his career average was thirteen point four, and I believe that it he was on a let's say a bit better team because all of these great players were just you know coming to their peak. Uh, they were playing for Tau Ceramica probably before their peak. So if Luis was on a better team, he probably would have you know more Euroleague titles yeah. uh, in his case, and he probably will be you know. Uh, undoubtful uh, pick for this uh, position. Okay, for so sure. He, he, if you compare player to player, he is better than Felipe Reyes. I would yeah, admit yeah. that. But choosing this lineup, I consider titles mm -hmm. as well. So achievements speak for themselves, and also that I don't know. It's kind of a sentimental, but uh. the legendary status that this guy played for one team. He's yeah, a yeah. club legend, so it also works for me. Yeah, center. Yep. Um, I hope that we chose the same player. Probably. Uh, Nikola Vucic, no? Oh my God, no. I <laughs> thought that we, bo we, we both agree on this. But okay. Nikola Vucic. I have my uh, case, but... Nikola Vucic had a triple-double, which is sort of impossible in Euroleague. Especially when you consider that back in the day, it was much harder to, to have a triple-double. To yeah. get an assist, yeah. Because if, if the guy is fouled and shoots free throws, you don't get an assist yeah. for making that pass. How many triple doubles were there in early history? Three or four? Probably not a lot. Yeah, Nikolaitis had one. Probably Doncic Vujic had one. No, maybe. Yeah. So you know, Nikola Vucic to me was like Nikola Jokic before Nikola Jokic. Mm -hmm. He was dominating. Uh, yeah, in he really once again this Maccabi team, legendary Maccabi team. His IQ, his passing abilities, his his versatility playing. Back to the basket, facing the basket, his ability to stretch the court, unmatched. Really, he was playing in the season when Arvido Sabonis made a comeback to the EuroLeague, the best passing center maybe ever. And uh, Nikola Vucic still at that moment was the guy to talk about at the center position. And I was always impressed about him, always impressed what he could do. Yes, you could once again have the case that he was not like shining for 10 or 12 seasons. It was like four or five year span with Maccabi. And after Maccabi, what he did was not so special. But the, the skills, wow, I mean. I love him, yeah. He was a big part of that Maccabi uh, yeah. team. I mean, I cannot imagine like having Shadas, Parker, Vujic on the same team. They are kind of, you know, masterminds uh, of basketball. And Vujic was probably my second pick but I took Kyle Hines mm -hmm. because he's a four-time league champion. And in, in the modern era, uh, only Hines and Charles won the EuroLeague four times. 
uh, he's sixth in most games played. But my main idea is the way how he changed the understanding of uh, center role. And he was kind of, you know, that guy who changed the dynamics of center position in the EuroLeague. I also uh, uh, have in mind his, you know, personality, what uh, his true leadership, uh, how good a captain he is for all the teams he played for. He was a centerpiece uh, for TSK when they won their EuroLeague. And uh, I just, you know, love him uh, as a person, you know, as an as a player. He's a, really impactful. He's a captain, a leader. He's player, a player's voice, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love Kyle Hines, but I would like to say one thing. I would put one center ahead of Kyle Hines, American center. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say that actually he paved the way for guys like Hines to play at the five position. Mike Batiste. Mike Batiste, yeah. Mike Batiste. think thought so i could have him in my team and you know having the matitis and batista in my team is a, it's a winning uh-huh. formula for sure but no mike batista um, olympiakos fans will hate you for this <laughs> <laughs> i'm not biased. that's why i took the matitis and spanulis you know <laughs> I'm, to I'm, have that balance listen mike batista at that time was also like he uh, was great uh, undersized center who was running the court who was playing perfect pick and rolls who could defend on perimeter Uh, he was a beast. He was crashing the boards. And uh, no disrespect to Kyle Hines, who is a legend, but I would actually, if not Nikola Vucic, I would have chosen Mike. Mm-hmm. I think that Mike is better offensively, but defensively, defensively and what kind of impact he makes in, in the locker room, Kyle Hines. Uh, Kyle Hines is more advanced. Yeah, leadership. But I mean, Everybody. Mike is also a very good guy. We had an interview uh, in basketnews.com. My colleague, Yorgos uh, Kirakidis, made an interview. It was really interesting to listen to his thoughts. It was funny that he was making that interview from Spanulis' uh, house. And he t- he mentioned that Spanulis has some big plans in basketball, uh, despite the fact that he retired. So that's that's nice to hear all these you know old guys having some ambitions just the thing with mike batiste you know uh he wouldn't fit my one club man system which just doesn't fit also he joined uh, olympiakos later on mm. or maybe even play for fs i don't know yeah yeah um, he played and mike batiste we remember him as a panathinaikos legend but his years in fenerbahce for example were not so good mm. were not memorable he was declining yeah but in pao beast dominant And our most underrated yeah. five. Th- this was a more specific task, probably because underrated, it could mean something to you and something completely different to me. So I don't think we will have any I think that players. we might have one in power forward position. Okay, we'll see. Okay. But we, we can start from the point guard, yeah, right? The point guard uh, for me, Daniel Hackett. Okay. Daniel Hackett recently won the championship with CSK. Um, there were only a couple of seasons where he was uh, scoring double-digit numbers. Uh, he is known for his defense, for his good character, for his leadership, for his mid-range jump shot, although he improved his three-point shooting in the recent years playing in Moscow. And he is strong, athletic, left-handed, does a lot of good things for the team. But when he won the championship with CSK, nobody would be talking about the impact Daniel Hackett has on the team because everybody would be talking about either Will Clyburn or Corey Higgins or even Kyle Hines, not about Daniel Hackett. 
And Hackett, throughout his career, he played in some good teams, but not that much in the elite teams. Uh, in Olympiakos, he had a big injury. Uh, he had a good year in Bamberg when he sort of reminded everybody that I'm kind of good, you can sign me. Uh, he played in, for, for the Italian teams in Milano, in Siena. Never was seen as like a superstar, but now in Moscow, I see him as the guy you can trust. Especially last season when there was no Mike James, Daniel Hackett stepped up, became the main point guard, led the team to the Final Four, and in the Final Four, they were really close to making the final. So I kind of see him as an underrated guy. I like the second part, uh, second version of uh, Hackett, because I'm not sure if maybe, you know, uh, I misunderstood some things, but for me, it seemed like that Daniel Hackett was always a tough character throughout his career. It seemed like he has scandals. He was playing for uh, teams who were not competing for the titles. But in CSK, uh, he joined them in 2018. He kind of established as the pl player who can, can, who can contribute on a very high level for a title contenders. And he looks more mature now. And yeah, maybe, you know, that's the impact of Dimitris Tudis. I don't know, but CSK really reshaped his status in the EuroLeague. And I love him right now. I love his all-around game. My only regret is that he's already 33, you know, because it seems like he started, you know, having his best years from 2018 in Moscow. But yeah, I like I like your selection. Uh, I had issues with point guard position. I have issues also with my uh, center selection. So because every good point guard is properly rated, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, so that's why I stole your suggestion, suggestion, Costas uh, Slukas, because uh, Slukas, when you mentioned his name, I, I was like, yeah, I was also underrating him probably all of his uh, career. Uh, maybe when he came to Fenerbahce, you know, I kind of, you know, uh, started to appreciate what he have done, uh, what he has done in, in Olympiakos. But yeah, he was always, you know, at least second guy after uh, Vasilis uh, Spanoulis, but he was always as important uh, as him on that uh, Olympiakos team. So on the Olympiakos team, he seemed like a role player, a good addition, but everybody knew that this is Spanoulis and Printez's team. And when, uh, Coach Obradovic signed Lucas for Fenerbahce. It did not seem like a big deal. Mm -hmm. You did not treat uh, Lucas at the time as one of the best pick and roll players in, in Europe. But then Jelko and Kostas proved to everybody. Uh, Lucas playing with Vesely was a deadly combo and, and they won the EuroLeague title with Fenerbahce. Now he's in Olympiakos. Now you can say Olympiakos is his team because from these Greek veterans, Panoulis retired, Printezis is not as impactful as he was and Costas Lucas is still very good you can still see him as the main point guard as the leader so it's a good choice shooting guards it seems like there's a whole train of uh, shooting oh, guards yeah. who de deserve that spot oh yeah so I I took a legend a player who is really legendary but I'm not sure if many people mention him as one of the best shooting guards or anything okay. like that but to me he's a player who who would change every single game when he steps on the court. Defense is afraid of him. Everybody uh -huh. has to react to every single move he makes without the ball is JC Carroll. Okay, the yeah. The deadliest shooter in the EuroLeague, the best American shooter to play in the EuroLeague. Um, even now, I mean, last season, he's already a veteran. 
he still does his thing. He can still change a game coming off the bench in the middle of the third quarter when Real Madrid is down by 16 points and he can inspire a comeback with his plays that he makes. So JC Carroll, I, I always admired him. He seems to me also like a super professional. He had some injuries, difficult injuries throughout his career, but he overcame every single one of them and he was so consistent. You look at his numbers, his points average, his shooting percentages, consistently shooting over 40%, scoring averaging like 10 points per game and perfect fit for Pablo Lasso and, and this Real Madrid team. Yeah, uh, JC was also in my considerations, but I decided to dedicate this position for all these, you know, uh, scorers who were scoring on a high uh, numbers. And maybe I was inspired by my colleagues, uh, Gustavo Sklikna uh, interview with Marcus Brown, but I took Marcus uh, for that position. I just, you know, uh, I admired, uh, I always admired, I remember even before Jargiris, uh, I admired him as one of the best scorers at that time in the EuroLeague and he was scoring crazy numbers, for example, 20-point average in Treviso, 19.6 in FS, 18.7 uh, for CSK, 15.3 for Unicaja, 14.4 for Jargiris and Maccabi, 12.3. And he... I just loved watching him because he was so skilled. He had such a soft uh, touch. But the only thing is that, and he mentioned it uh, on the interview, uh, that probably he he won't be considered uh, among all these you know greats because he didn't uh, he didn't win the Euroleague, and maybe you know people kind of treated him as inefficient uh, scorer. You know that his uh, scoring uh, didn't translate uh, into the trophies or something. And we, he also made an interesting quote uh, about saying that back in the day it was very hard to win the yearly because uh, usually you, you could have uh, let's say buy the Euroleague title, uh, which means uh, this is coming from a guy who played for, who played for CSK, CSK in, back okay. in like 2003 or four, which seemed like to be that time when CSK was trying to buy the title. Uh, but yeah, he just you know said that uh, there were some super teams, and probably he you know he didn't consider that experience with CSK, but he he probably had in mind this you know Unicaja FS or he uh, made a final times. four with Malaga. Of course, uh, at that time he was injury prone already. Mm. He was not as impactful, but he made a final four with Malaga. What I like about Marcus Brown is that he adjusted his game to his body. In the first part of his career, when you mentioned he was scoring like 20 points per game, he was a slasher, he was an athletic finisher. Mm. Later, after all these injuries, when there was not that much power in his legs, he became a, sh- a shooter. For Jalgiris, he was a shooter, shooting from every position. I mean, the ma- the main set play that Jalgiris had at the time with Coach Grigas was stagger for Marcos Brown. Yeah. He moves on the baseline, he... And he takes the three-point shot. That was the main thing Dralgiris did. And Marcus Brown, yeah. He was like, I would say, iconic because he's also very charismatic. Mm-hmm. So we all remember he, all these jokes he's about an chicken and porn with, uh, with the DC <laughs> Collins. Yeah, and uh, his looks, he, he looks like Eddie Murphy a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, Marcus Brown, great guy. Small okay. forward. Yeah, small forward. Nikola Kalinic for me. Oh, okay. okay. Nikola Kalinic. The fact that at 29, after having a really decent season with Valencia, he signs with Cervena Zvezda, not with one of the better teams in Euroleague. The fact itself shows that he's underrated to me. Uh, his role um, in Jelko Bradovic's team was crucial. 
he was making all these big plays on defense. He was having all these responsibilities in big games, defending the opposition's main guys. At the same time, when Fener won the EuroLeague in the Final Four, he was actually their leading scorer. Okay. Because other teams That's were taking risks at him, leaving him on the three-point line, and he made those shots. We know this Serbian forward is not the best shooter, but he's smart. His shot selection is good. He can play back to the basket. You can move him to four po- position if, if needed, uh, b- but he really is a small forward. And he's still 29 years old. And for me, it's kind of strange to see him in Cervantes Vesda. I think he could be playing in a much better team. Uh, I don't think he's a worse player than, for example, Adam Hanga or Victor Claver. Maybe even better. But okay. He's a EuroLeague champion anyways, but I see him as an underrated player. I wished to see him in Barca because, as you mentioned, I also think that he deserves a better sh- uh, shot at the EuroLeague yeah. title after all these years with uh, Fenerbahce. But probably he, he will have uh, time you know, to compete for another EuroLeague title in the future. Uh, I took Pete Michael. Uh, I love him, and I think that he... Back in the day, he was probably the best small forward uh, the EuroLeague had, uh, considering his impact both offensively and defensively. What makes him underrated uh, that he made his EuroLeague deb- debut when he was only 29. Not only, he was already 29. Uh, he had some experiences uh, before, but what is interesting that in summer 2007, when Basconia signed him, he... Uh, was rejected by a few very mediocre ACB teams and he was coming after season in South Korea and he was his career was a bit in question but Basconia and Alfredo Salazar was the guy who uh, believed in this project and the same year Pete Michael became the MVP of the Spanish uh, League Finals and I think that uh, Basconia won that that series against Barca 3-0 and later he joined Barca he became the EuroLeague champion and the problem is that you know he just he just reached that elite level too late and, and of course to, he had, he had uh, to retire health from, issues. for medical reasons yes right? yes yes that's, that's a shame but great player I, I I kind of remind him more in the Barcelona jersey than than Basconia. Yeah, I actually you know it, I was kind of you know forgot the if fact I'm that he mistaken, played for Basconia. He, he played in a Europe Cup final against Ritas for Macedonia. It was his <laughs> first <laughs> European experience, and he uh, yeah. averaged twenty point twenty one point nine points. And yeah, he yeah. played against Ritas. Good player, good choice. I like that. Power forward. You said that we maybe chose the same player. Yeah, I had the feeling. You have the feeling. Yeah, tell me. Victor Hryapa. Ah, okay. <laughs> Victor okay. Hryapa is my choice. But he, I was also considering him as well as uh, Nikita Kurbanov, actually. Okay. Well, Nikita would put him more in a small forward position. Yeah, but, yeah, that, that's the case. Victor Hryapa, former CSK captain. Uh, one time he was in an all EuroLeague team, uh, but mainly he was a hard worker, a little bit underrated. He was always playing next to other superstar players like Teodosic, Wims, even Kirilenko, big names. And you would never see him as the go-to guy or the biggest star on the team. But once again, consistency, experience, decision-making, very intelligent basketball player. Um, As I remember, he 
he had offers from other elite Euroleague teams like Barcelona and others. He was always staying in Moscow. He was feeling good there. He retired there. He had a stint in the NBA, which was not very successful. But he was really a power forward that fit any system. He could stretch the floor, make uh, mid-range jump shots or three-pointers, make some big plays. If you remember the title they won against Fener in the final, yeah, Hrapa saved them. It's the offensive rebound, yeah, right? Yeah, Hrapa saved them in the last seconds. And he was the heart and soul of CSK probably because he, he was the captain. So there are not too many superstar Russian players. Mm-hmm. Russian teams are good because of, of their budget and the players they sign, but not because of the level of these Russian players, but Viktor Hrapov is one of these standout personalities, I would say. Yeah, the only regret is that uh, I think that he finished his career or earlier when ex- when he wanted, or let's say not in a way he wanted. Yeah, because not in, he not had in some a way, conflicts probably. with uh, Itudis. Is, in the last season, he was right. just uh, a bench warmer. Yeah. And sort of the same thing happened then with Voronsevich as well. But Viktor Hrapov in his best days, he was one of the key players for mm-hmm. for CSK to, to win titles. Yeah. Well, maybe we didn't agree on a player, but at least we we agreed uh, for the team for this position because I took uh, all good Matias Smodish uh, for mm-hmm. this position. I loved him. I remember he, he was one of these early stretch fours uh, back in the days, and he was helping CSK a lot. And they had stars like you know Shishkowska, Strajan Langdon, Jia Holden, Wonderpool. There were many, many great players on that team. But Smodis was always doing his job. He was very consistent with his three-point shots, forty uh, percent career average, fifty. Uh, 6% two-point shot percentage. He was always a bit dirty, always humble, tough, passionate, emotional, and uh, he's a three-time EuroLeague champ. So I just remember him with a smile. I don't remember he w- if he was a good defender, but he was always uh, tough. And uh, watching all these stars on CSK, Smodish was my most favorite guy. I remember very, very well uh, that Final Four in 2006, probably. When they faced Maccabi once again, but it was a different Maccabi. Uh, Willie Solomon, yeah, right? Willie yeah. Solomon, and Smodish made some crucial baskets, some some three pointers that changed the game. And he was clutch. And yeah. and in that season, actually, CSK had problems because David Anderson went out with an injury. They had to sign Thomas Van den Spiegel. They mm. had to depend more on uh, Savrasenko, and Smodish as the power forward in the final four was. Amazing. So, also a good choice. I agree. Even though I, I did not really consider. Okay. Smodish. I was just, just thinking. He was a beast. straight yeah. away. <laughs> it, he fits my description of underrated. Okay. So does the center for me. Once again, Moscow. Although he played in in other teams as well, uh, he didn't win a Euroleague title. That's one thing. Why he might be underrated, and he didn't play that many seasons in Europe. He played some in the NBA as well. Another reason why you could say he's underrated, but in my opinion, he's one of the best post players that Euroleague has seen, the modern Euroleague has seen, playing back to the basket. He was just sometimes unstoppable. It's Nenad Krstic. Oh, yeah. I had it in my consideration. You wouldn't say that he's a Euroleague legend. He has no Euroleague titles. But yeah, he was a dominant center in these seasons for for Moscow. In Anadolu, he was older, he was not that great anymore, but for the Serbian national team, also he did a lot, so I chose Nenad. Uh, 
Uh, I was not my not very confident with my uh, selection, but I took uh, Gustavo Yon uh, because the way how he contributed to that team. Because when we have Real Madrid in mind, we always uh, think about all these perimeter guys. Uh, guys at, at first, they were always loaded with great guards, with great shooters. And what is interesting about Yon, about Ayon that he was never he, okay. He 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 was a good shot blocker, rim protector, but I know that by, by some coaches he was never considered as you know that great uh, defender. But he fit that Real Madrid style very well because he could you know run the floor. He was uh, pretty fast. Uh, he, his length helped that team, and he won the Euroleague twice. Uh, first time in 2015, I guess, or 16, and then again with Luca. And I mean, he just managed, you know, to fit that team. And uh, I think he was really important piece for that Real Madrid team. Come to think of it, your choice is actually better than mine. Okay, I, okay. I, I would agree that Gustavo. I'm Jan surprised because it was my last minute. Call. No, but I, I agree that Gustavo deserves a mention in this. You are, and nobody talked about him enough. Yes, you, know? you are right because this was like Chacho's or, or Sergio Yul's team, yeah. then Doncic's team. Even in the final four, the first final four, they won. Uh, Nocioni was shining, and and, yeah. and Nocioni became the final four MVP. And Gustavo Jan was a good center, mm-hmm. probably underappreciated a little bit, but he was playing for like five or six years in in, in Madrid. Yeah, yeah, he spent yeah. a lot over there. Okay, yeah, that's that's a good one. So this is it, right? You can offer your... Actually, yeah, you can offer your for sure. Um, But I would like to say that before this podcast, we were not sure with Donatas whether we will manage to cover at least an hour because there's not that much to talk about. Huge mistake again. I see... Almost two hours. I see it's almost two, so... (laughs) Yeah. I I have to say that the beginning was like Real Murcia, 0-10. Flow was... I'm. I'm. Mm-hmm. What? I don't know. I don't know what do you it's think about the flow. It's been a while. It's yeah, been yeah, a yeah. while. Uh, it's obviously, you know, the start of the preparation for yeah. the season, both for us. The last one we had was about Olympics basketball, but it was zo- through Zoom, Zoom so yeah. it's, it's different. Yeah, we started off sh- kind of shaky, but yeah. in the end, it was okay. I believe so. But leave your feedback yeah. and also We're waiting, yeah, for your waiting for your top five underrated players in the early history and the best five. ones. Yeah, yeah. all time five uh, uh, lineups. Uh, thanks a lot for watching us. Rita Svishnauska, Donata Surbonas. You can follow us on basketnews.com, on Basket News YouTube channel. And as far as I know, we're on, on all main yeah. audio platforms. You can follow you can Donatas us. on Twitter as well. Oh, yeah. I'm not a big Twitter fan, so. We will bring you on Twitter, <laughs> actually. We, we talked with Jonas that we need we need to do that. Okay, so that's a topic for 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 the future. But but uh, uh, until you will have to convince me that it's something that I need. Until <laughs> it is, uh, will use the Twitter. Uh, I I can recommend following Mike James because every day it's uh, another great uh, story of uh, Mike yep. James. Mike, we want you back. Yeah. Bye bye. See you guys next time.